Oh, oh man, bad dream. Late for school. Oh man. Ah, oh, I don't know. Have you had that one before? If so, whew, you know what I'm talking about. Luckily, any class I'd take right now would be online. <laughs> sort of like anyone learning something new with the brand I've got for you on today's Authentic Avenue. Skillshare, the online learning platform and community inspiring discovery through creativity. Liana Dulette Guzman is the brand's first ever chief marketing officer, and she's got a particular set of skills herself, which she has brought to the table through, among other things, the platform's rebrand. Today, Liana and I discuss staying true to the inside whilst changing on the outside, as well as what's up with upskilling. So open up your notebook and listen in as I get real with Skillshare and Liana Dulette Guzman. Learning something new can always be a bit of a daunting task, a bit of an unfamiliar task. Heck, it's something I'm doing right here with this show right now. But I've brought somebody on the show today who is a, an expert at it within a brand, within redefining itself, and within defining itself, especially during this time, I've got Liana Dulette Guzman with us from Skillshare. Liana, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Adam. I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing well. Weathering the storm here as everybody is just fine. Learning some new things on my own in terms of the podcasting and audio world. But I'm sure you're seeing this much more broadly. And so I'm excited to talk to you today about what's going on at Skillshare, this world of, of upskilling. And what do you think that means uh, for how people learn how to do new things, especially right now? We'll get there in a little bit. First, I got to know how you joined the brand. What's that story? Absolutely. So, you know, I think um, for me, I have a, a very nonlinear career path. And so I spent the first decade of my career at a professional services firm and then moved over to a fintech company where I actually ended up taking a chief operating officer role uh, and, and, and then made the move to Skillshare. And I think the thing that all three of those have in common is that each of those companies was really mission-driven, and and so uh, that is the story for Skillshare. I was incredibly attracted to the company's mission, which is all around uh, empowering folks to discover through creativity. Um, there is so much research out there that shows that when we allow ourselves to create, uh, we become um, more self-realized. And um, by virtue of doing so, we can lead more fulfilled and productive lives. And so uh, I was really drawn to that mission. Um, I was drawn to the way uh, in which the company does that. And, and then, of course, the team uh, that's doing it. And so I joined about a year ago. I'm uh, the company's first ever chief marketing officer. And um, my job is really to help bring our story to the masses. So the first CMO ever for this brand, were they used to having a seat like that at the table before? How has that been going? Because I, I know that, uh, you know, for most folks, bringing in a new CMO or a first CMO can be kind of a challenge. You're an expert at this now, and I want to know how it's been. You know, it has been a dream. Uh, so, so we did. The company did have a VP of marketing prior to my joining, uh, who was far more focused on performance marketing. And I think one of the uh, tremendously unique things about Skillshare and and this opportunity, and and one of the things that really drew me to the company is that um, I was not coming into a role where I had to convince the executive team that marketing and brand marketing in particular mattered. Uh, the company had come to the realization that performance marketing 
learning is an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, it is, it is, in fact, really fueled our growth across the last ten years. But that that really the magic happens when that performance marketing happens in concert with uh, an, a really strong umbrella brand. And uh, so I was brought on to help bring those things together and, and create more of a brand forward approach to to the way that we market as an organization. And so for me, it really has not been the challenge that I think it often is when when you join a company as the first CMO, where there's a lot of education that has to happen around why marketing matters, the difference between marketing and brand, um, how to build those things in, in sustainable and scalable ways. I think a lot of that foundational work um, had been done prior to my joining. And so I was able to come in and just help to shape and then start executing against uh, the vision for, for, for doing all of that. And so you come in and you create a, a vision for the holistic brand, which doesn't, of course, just include performance marketing. It includes other things. To this, did, did you consider this a, a rebrand at all? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I know you happen to be quite the specialist within that. I want to know about how that has come to pass at Skillshare or if it has. And uh, if so, I want to talk a little bit about authenticity. But let's start there. Was this a rebrand in essence? You know, I do think of it as a rebrand. So in some ways, one of the things that's really appealing about or was appealing to me about this role is that there had not been a lot of effort put into building um, a real brand marketing function or building an overarching brand. Um, so in some ways, there was a clean slate um, within which we could operate. That being said, you know, we we have um, just under 13 million people uh, who are members of the Skillshare family. And, uh, you know, a lot they they were familiar with us as a company right so the way that i think of brand is it's not marketing it's actually who you are innately and so though we didn't focus on brand marketing we did have a brand we've been around for for a decade and so uh, and, and we have a, a a membership of of folks who are really passionate about skillshare and what we do and what we stand for so i very much thought of it as a rebrand and i think the reason that it's important to think of a rebrand differently than you think about the development of a brand is that there are people who care deeply about what you've done to date. And so, um, and which is, which is great. But when you're thinking about how you're evolving, you have to make sure that that, that story keeps them in mind and that you're not sort of departing from um, who you have been completely and, and really leaving the people who have helped you grow behind. And so I think it presents um, a, a really unique challenge, uh, but one that I find really exciting, which is all around how do you hold on to the things that make you special and have made you beloved to date? And how do you evolve those things to bring them to a bigger audience and to have them um, better represent who you want to be in the future? And quite the big audience here now, you've said about 13 million people on this platform, quite a growth over the decade of its life. And within that, I'm curious about a couple of things, because you mentioned in there, standing up for something and reflecting what you stand for I've been asking this question towards the top of interviews recently. I want to ask you the same one, which is, uh, is this part of what authenticity means to you? What, what does that word mean? How do you personally define it? And then I guess, how do you define it for Skillshare? It's such a great question. And, and I think, you know, authenticity to me is being true to who you are. And I think in order to be true to who you are, you have to know who you are. Right. I think um, on a personal level, there are there are a lot of folks who haven't taken the time to really self-reflect on who am I? What do I stand for? What do I believe? Really developing a clarity around um, around their purpose in life. And uh, so I think 
for me, that is what authenticity is. It's it's really being um, honest with yourself about who you are, um, what you believe in, what you stand for, who you want to be, uh, and then and then communicating that um, in as real a way as possible. And I would say I think the same is true for brands. I think. I think what happens a lot with brands is, uh, you know, to, to borrow from uh, Simon Sinek's work, you know, they start with the what. So what are we? What do we do? What do we create? And really, you have to start with the why. Why do I exist? What problem am I solving? How am I making the world a better place? And I think when you start with that why, it becomes a lot easier to be authentic because it, you know, as I said, it provides that clarity of purpose around, uh, you know, who am I and, and what do I stand for and allows you to better understand what, what it is you should be doing. But I think of equal importance, it allows you to have real clarity on what you should not be doing. Uh, and so it makes decisions much easier. And as a result, you're able to be truly yourself, whether that's as a, as a person or as a company. So now we get back to the question about rebrands because uh, for Skillshare and for you and the way that you define the rebrand for them, was that a change in the what, the why, a little bit of both? And then more broadly, how does authenticity play into that? In essence, I suppose what I'm asking is, how does a brand, Skillshare or any brand, stay true to themselves whilst redefining how it goes to market and how it appears? So I think in your question is the sort of challenge that that I think... Um... Or, or, or I think the way you pose the question is actually why it can be challenging for folks. You know, you can't figure out how you're going to market and how you're repositioning until you have figured out who you are. So when I think about Skillshare, and I think this is true of all brands and, and the exercise that we went through, it was not around how do we want to present ourselves to the public. That is not where we started. Um, and it wasn't about sort of defining the why so much as finding the why. So, you know, we had the benefit of roughly 10 years under our belt. And, and what we did was we just took a long, hard look at ourselves um, and, and, you know, we conducted user interviews to understand what are the elements of our platform that our users are finding most compelling, most useful, that are most impacting their lives for the better. Um, We looked at a competitive analysis to understand who are we, um, you know, as compared to to other products out in the market? How do we differ? How are we the same? Um, You know, we we really looked at behaviors. So beyond interviews, just data around how are people using our product? How often? Where are they focusing their efforts? What are they um, going back to time and time again? And I think when you sort of go through that entire exercise, you land with a lot of clarity around, oh, this is actually who we are. And so for us, that process... um, you know, we didn't create a new why. What 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 happened for us was we came to the realization that while we were a platform that people came to to learn, where we really were having the greatest impact and where we were really um, driving fulfillment for our for our members was around creativity, and so really understanding that that's where we had. Um, something special to provide that others in the market did not, that was also the thing that people most uh, found helpful about our platform. And so that really allowed us to zero in on how we wanted, where we wanted to focus. And as I said earlier, so it was as much about where we wanted to focus as it was about acknowledging that that means, you know, we are not going to be the perfect platform for somebody who wants to come and learn how to code. Or, uh, you know, for a while, you know, you could you could do really anything. It's it's there's a lot of uh, user generated content on our platform. So, you know, people would upload classes um, 
workout classes. You know, it was much more akin to, say, a YouTube where it was just, you know, sort of um, we were in some ways boiling the ocean. You could come to us for anything. Um, And what we did was we identified that actually creativity is where we can have the most impact. And so once we settled on that as the realization, then how we brought that out into the world became very clear and very easy to execute against, right? And so um, we were able to develop personas around that. We were able to um, develop a visual and verbal identity that really brought that why to life um, in a clear way. And and so that's, to me, that is the the crux of this is, is you really can't start thinking about how you go out to the public until you've done the soul searching to figure out who you are first. Got it. So first things first, figure out who you are, then figure out how to go to market. Makes complete sense to me. And thank you for illustrating that because I was having difficulty in my head saying, okay, I'm being authentic means I'm staying true to something. Well, now it seems like I'm changing what I am, but maybe I'm not. It sounds like from what you're saying, maybe you're actually not. It's just a, a different way of expressing it. And hey, it seems like the market has responded really well to this uh, in two ways, not only from the growth of the learners, as I said, almost 13 million, or as you said, nearly 13 million. I want to learn a little bit more about them in a second, but also raising a Series D this year in the middle of COVID couldn't have hurt. Yeah, it's been it's been really um, a fun path. You know, I, we we rolled out the brand uh, in January, and immediately saw our business um, numbers jump. Um, so I think a lot of a lot of companies in our space have seen tremendous growth around COVID, and um, we are certainly we certainly were the beneficiaries of of a lot of interest. Um, you know, as, as stay at home orders went into effect, and and folks were thinking about you know upskilling and filling their time. Um, but I think you know even in advance of that, we were starting to see some some tremendous growth metrics based solely on rolling out the new brand. And I think for us, it's because um, to your point around authenticity, we were actually the folks on our platform had always turned to us for the creative side more than anything else. We were finally sort of living our truth around that being our area of expertise. And so, um, you know, we saw our email engagement jump up, our viewership jump up, um, the number of people who started coming to the platform increase. So we just across, you know, nearly every metric, we saw tremendous growth. Well, that's wonderful. This word that you that you had told me in the pre-interview, uh, folks, we do that prep, Upskilling. I hadn't really heard of it before. I just thought of it as like learning. But is this something that uh, you were seeing prior to COVID, something that you saw accelerate rapidly upon it? And maybe regardless, what about this moment in our economic, socioeconomic time makes upskilling such an important thing? Um, it is. It's a, it's a great question, Adam. I think, and I, and I promise I will answer the upskilling thing. I think, but I, I think there is this tendency to talk about COVID as a time where people were focused on, you know, upskilling, building a new set of skills or strengthening the skills they had in the face of a more uncertain economic environment and, and you know, with folks losing jobs or the threat of losing a job. And I think that's very true. We have seen a lot of folks come to our platform um, and we see this all the time, actually. So uh, as an example, when Adobe released Fresco, one of their newest products last year, we were their... Um, their singular education partner. So on the day Fresco was released, we already had classes that we had worked alongside Adobe to create um, so that you could learn how to use Fresco. So if you are a graphic designer, you know, in COVID times, but also pre-COVID times, as was the case in in this um, in this version, in this example, uh, you know, Skillshare was a place where you could come and learn Adobe's newest platform. So that makes you um, a more competitive and competent designer. 
And so I think that's something that we we always have seen on our platform. And um, and I'm not sure that, you know, we saw any more or less of that in the face of COVID. I think what we saw more of actually is I think COVID um, lent itself to self-reflection. I think it was a very jarring experience for most, if not all of us. And, uh, you know, being forced to stay home, um, really clearing the decks on a lot of our schedules. I think what I've heard from folks over and over and over again is it really helped them to figure out what mattered most to them. They realized that when the noise was necessarily quieted, you know, all the meetings and the running around that we were all accustomed to doing, when all of that was stripped away from our day-to-day schedules, we sort of you know, um, had to figure out what do we care most about? Where are we going to invest our time? Now that we're trying to juggle for those of us who are parents, you know, homeschooling and working and often losing all the help that we had, you know, I can't do it all. So I'm going to prioritize what I'm focused on. And I think one of the things that we found on our platform is that, that people realized that they wanted to spend their time doing things that fulfilled them and, um, made them feel, um, one of the words that we heard from users a lot was Zen. And I think one of the things that that we have seen is that um, exploring creativity can have many of the same benefits as meditation. But for a lot of folks, it's actually easier to be able to pick up a crayon and draw than it is to have to sit in silence um, and and meditate. That's a that can be a steeper hill to climb. And so, what we saw in the face of COVID was certainly there were people coming to our platform to learn specific skills for the sake of pushing their careers forward or um, you know strengthening the case for why they should they should keep their jobs. But we also saw a lot of folks who came to our platform for some of the softer skill things. So some of the things around self care. And um, drawing as meditation, and so so those sorts of um, classes really took off on our platform. And I think it speaks to, you know, the realization that folks had that that um, we have one precious life, and I want to be sure to fill mine with things that are interesting and fulfilling and make me a better, uh, more whole person. I got to ask you personally, how did you find yours in? So I did take I did take Skillshare classes. There are a few. Um, there's a Amari Andrew class, um, which is amazing. It's a, an illustration class, but it's it's focused on sort of um, finding your zen. And so uh, so that was one way that I found my zen. Um, you know, and then some of it was just around prioritization. I actually found that when I didn't have to worry about commuting, and there were so many things on my plate that I um, had to really focus in on what mattered most. It, it actually made life a little bit more zen. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't there wasn't as much noise, and so I could focus on the things that mattered most to me. And um, and I had to be really disciplined around setting boundaries around. You know, I'm in my room working now, and I'm out now. You know, with the kids homeschooling, and really focused on being present in those moments because. Um, I had to be able to quickly move from one to another. And so I owed it to that experience to not, to be totally present. And so I think the process of that really, really helped me to, to stay Zen. Not always, but, but uh, you know, more so than I expected in the phase it of all It can certainly help, right? Yeah. That's what I'm going through right now, starting something new. And it's a skill in which I'm versed, but something which I can always be more well-versed in compartmentalization has become one of my top priorities. It's how I'm able to chill out when things seem a little wild, when there's a lot of noise. That's a good way to put it. It's actually a good way to talk about this next question because there's plenty of noise all the time about everything. And it's a very generic statement, but when it comes to building a brand and how to present yourself and what to develop on, I'm sure there's a lot of people talking in your ear, we should do this, we should do that, we should do the other thing. When it comes to 
finding yourself, presenting that self to the market, operationalizing, let's say, the authenticity which you seek to reflect. It's been my observation that most brands have have infinite ways of doing that. I've been saying it on the show a little bit. These are their own authentic avenues to accomplish that. What are a few of yours? What are a few of Skillshare's? Because I have to imagine there's a ton of stuff you could be doing, but there's only so many hours in the day. That's right. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that has been an incredible driver of growth, you know, for for many years at Skillshare is influencer marketing. And I think one of the things that we have sought to do in the last year and a half or so is um, really drive greater authenticity there. And so, um, by way of example rather than simply sponsoring videos on YouTube, we now are partnering with influencers on YouTube who, um, you know, we are sponsoring their videos, but they're also teaching classes on our platform. And so we're building um, a deeper relationship and connection to those influencers. Uh, and and they, as a result, have, you know, really come to um, use and love the Skillshare product. And so, you know, when they talk about Skillshare, they're doing it not from a script, but from personal experience. And so I think that's one one lever that we pull and, and one way that we're trying to bring that lever into greater authenticity. Um, another big lever for us is around content. So, you know, when I joined the firm, I think, or the, the company, one of the things that I was really blown away by were, were the stories that I heard from from students and teachers alike about the ways in which this platform has changed their life for the better. Um, you know, there are teachers who, uh, in fact, I got, I got an email from somebody the other day that um, their hours were cut at work. And so they started teaching on Skillshare. And the money they made from teaching on Skillshare was the thing that was, a, they, they actually ended up making more than they had been making in their previous role. So, um, so really, you know, putting food on their family's table. Um, there is a woman who is a student who um, broke her hip and she's a big traveler and loves to travel. And she learned um, how to create her own website on Skillshare. And she started creating a travel site so that when she was stuck at home, she could sort of um, live vicariously through previous trips that she took. And so, um, and and she said, you know, she it, it turned what would have been a very dark and lonely time into a, a time um, of joy, frankly. And so those are the stories that I think we have an incredible opportunity to tell. And um, using our platform as um, really a conduit for telling those stories, I think is, is a huge opportunity for us. And because that's really about telling true stories, um, not, not, you know, not us telling a story we want you to hear, but us really discovering stories that exist and bringing them to life and, and out into the world. I think authenticity is just, you know, central to that. Um, so that's another, another really big lever, um, lever for us. I would say those are, those are probably two of the biggest that I'm thinking about um, today. Well, of course, when it comes to telling real stories, I'm all about that. Love having those kinds of conversations, love learning more about that. And that story about somebody who was able to, you know, supplement or perhaps replace uh, what they were doing from their hours being cut is really great. Kind of makes me wonder as somebody who's trying to do this, uh, if I could do something on Skillshare. I don't know. I have to think about (laughs) that. Absolutely. You should check it out. I will. Well, let me ask you about this because I can't do that right now because I'm talking to you, but I can talk about what's next with you about what's going to happen with Skillshare. So I'm guessing over time, regardless of the reasoning, this 13 million strong pool has uh, gotten themselves so deeply entrenched in this platform and so deeply entrenched into the mindset of upskilling, perhaps continuous improvement in that way, uh, that you are going to naturally get benefit for uh, months and years to come. 
But now that you're within, still within the first year of this quote unquote rebrand, what do you hope for the future of the brand as to what you're able to put together? You know, I think for us, it's a lot about um, finding new new channels and new ways to tell our story. So, um, and the way that we think about that is around a lot of, of small tests and we see what works and then, you know, things that work, we continue to invest in. I think in terms of sort of big, bigger vision, a lot of what we're working on from a brand marketing perspective is identifying themes that we can work around so that we're creating a more holistic approach to our brand marketing efforts. Um, so, you know, this quarter, our theme is expect the unexpected. And um, and again, these themes are all things that bring our value proposition to life. Um, they are an extension of our brand versus us you know, trying to shoehorn our brand into messages that we think will land in market. And so, you know, um, we've, we've started testing on TV. Um, I think a lot of our growth will, will come to, uh, from international growth. So today, two thirds of our new users come from outside of the United States. So continuing to find ways um, to internationalize and localize our product to better meet the needs of folks not in the United States and, and beyond that, not in English speaking countries um, will be a big, a big part of the way we think about growth. Uh, and then, as I said, I think it's, it's about leveraging some of the, some of the brand marketing tools that a company 10 years old would typically have already started using. So things like content marketing, um, you know, we we're in the midst of a, an overhaul of our blog um, so that it, you know, it, it better serves the needs of our audience. Um, we've done a lot of work on our email marketing. So um, really moving it from transactional to more of a lifestyle experience so that people look forward to our emails and feel like they're deriving a lot of value from them. Um, so those are the sorts of, of initiatives that, that we're thinking about as, as we think about the rest of this year and, and early into next. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how that comes to life. Of course, I'm sure you are as well in the coming months. I'm going to come back to the now, and I can round out this interview with this, with an ask from you for advice to our listeners. Now, the reason why I'm doing this is because our listeners are generally brand builders, aspiring founders, people looking to find their own avenues to authenticity, so to speak, and they're probably learning new skills along the way, mind you. I'm aware through this conversation, that you know really well how a brand manifests its personal truth, how it finds it, and how it presents it. You've done that within the world of branding. You've done it within the world of rebranding. But most people out there don't have that vast uh, Bible of experience. And so I'm curious to hear from you how you might set people on the path to finding that truth in their own avenues to authenticity. I'm curious if you have any advice for the folks around that to round this out. I think the the biggest and perhaps most important thing that you can do if if you're thinking about embarking on this path is making sure that you have the buy-in um, of of the full executive team and 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 waterfalling that buy-in down. So um, you know as I mentioned earlier, I think when you're rebranding, there is um, for most brands, a certain amount of love associated with the, the brand as it exists, right? And and we see this over and over again. Like when Slack came out with um, a new logo, half of the people hated it, half of the people loved it, right? So that, I that's a, that. Yes. I mean, it was such a, um, and, and I think that is naturally, that, that is just naturally what happens, you know, there, what you get used to what you have and you love it. And, um, and so I think one of the pieces that, of advice that, that I would give is making sure that you have that buy-in across the board, making sure that people feel like they understand what brand with a capital B is. So this is not about marketing. It's about actually defining who we are as an organization, which means 
product needs to be on board. It means engineering needs to be on board. You know, if there's a content team, they need to be on board. Everybody needs to have um, buy-in to that shared vision. And I think oftentimes what happens is the marketing team will focus on this effort in a silo and then bring it out to the company. And even in a scenario where you get approval and the company seems excited about it, actually starting to live that brand becomes an uphill battle because you didn't get people's buy-in from the outset um, and they didn't fully understand what that brand is. They, they think of it as a marketing endeavor versus a brand endeavor. So I think for me, one, one really big piece of advice would be making sure that, that you are, um, you know, connecting those dots before you start the work in earnest. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I know I'm, I'm beating this drum pretty loud, pardon me, pretty loudly, but I think, you know, once you get there, don't start with the logo you know, so many companies want to start with what is the logo? How are we presenting ourselves to the company or to the world? That should actually be one of, if not the last um, stops on this on this train. So really it's about who are we, what do we stand for? And you have to be very open to being in a learning position for that process. So this isn't about you trying to validate um, certain perspectives that you have. It's really about going in with tremendous curiosity to understand what do people love about you? What don't they love about you? What do you stand for? Really coming in as a student of your own brand with fresh eyes um, and then leveraging all of that information to help inform uh, the final product. Well, listeners, I'd walk away with this uh, follow-on advice to you from what I'm condensing from this, which is perhaps in the next day, week, month, whenever makes sense for you, try and sit down and think about that. How can I be a student of my own business? similar to the way in which Skillshare is able to help people learn new things, maybe you'll be able to learn something new about what you are currently posturing to the world. Are there ways that you can change that? Are there ways in which it doesn't line up with what you hope to stand for and the personal truth that you hope to manifest? I think it's an interesting exercise and certainly one that Liana has learned to do over time. And Liana, thank you so much for joining me today and telling me more about the Skillshare story and also your story as to how you find these truths I can't wait to see what happens with the platform. And hey, maybe I'll end up joining that at some point. It sounds like a pretty good deal. But thanks. Thanks very much again for joining me. We would love it. Thanks for having me, Adam. As stated during the conversation, I am actually curious about what I might be able to do on Skillshare myself. Maybe I'll have something to talk about there one of these days. Thanks, Liana, and thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe while you're here and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also find me on socials, LinkedIn, at Authentic Avenue, or just Adam Connor. I'm there personally, too. Twitter, at Authentic Ave. And you can also write me directly, Adam, at AuthenticAvenueMedia.com. Say hi, tell me who I should have next, or just tell me what you're thinking about the show so far. This has been your host, Adam Connor, saying until I get real again with you, thanks for taking a walk with me down Authentic Avenue.